If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16, a rather short passage uh, in the in Scripture, and yet it is one that is recorded in three of the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it is recorded uh, fairly consistently. It's one that there's not a lot of change um, between the, the three records of this uh, event and of this teaching, um, and so we, we gain that this is important, that this is something that the Holy Spirit felt was important for us to have in the Word in, in three different places so that we might be reminded of it consistently. And so in the same way, we come to it uh, seeking to know what is important in this passage as Jesus talks about the faith of a child and talks about the love of children. Um, and so this morning... I uh, didn't give you a lot of time this morning, but this morning, hopefully, you've already found Mark chapter 10. And so, if you are able, would you please stand with us that we may honor the reading of God's Word this morning? Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that, they, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God is like a child, like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and again, Lord, as we have already done in the service, we give thanks, and we know that we have much to give thanks for. We pray this morning that we would think upon those things, upon your great salvation of our souls, upon your great many blessings, or that our heart would overflow with thanksgiving. Lord, that we would not only think about those things that you've done for us, but in that we would think about our families, about those that you've put in our life. Some, some are blood relatives, some are our church family that you have drawn us into community with and into relationship with. And Father, we pray that you would help us to know and to desire to better serve them. Father, I pray that you would take your word this morning, that you would speak truth to us, or that you would do what only you can do as you perform surgery on our hearts using your words. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we begin this passage, uh, as we begin to read this passage, we see the phrase, uh, and they were bringing children. Now, we don't know who they is. It's, it's not given to us that we know exactly. It could have been grandparents. It could have been aunts or uncles or friends that were bringing children, but for our purposes this morning, we're going to primarily consider that this was probably mostly parents that were bringing their children to Jesus Christ so that he may bless them, that he may bless these. In fact, Luke tells us in his account of this same story, of this same account, that it is infants, we're talking small children that Jesus are being brought to Jesus by their parents. And this is a good desire of these parents. This is a good thing that they want to come and to have their children blessed by 
God in the flesh, that they want to bring their children to be prayed over and to, to be cared for by, by the lover of all of our souls, by their Creator. And so they desire to bring their children close to Him. And we see in the same way that it is the desire of Christ for them to be brought. The disciples are standing around Jesus and they you can imagine them like kind of having their arms outstretched kind of like their bodyguards or something trying to keep the crowds away from Jesus especially the parents that are trying to get to him with little children and they're rebuking these parents he doesn't have time for this he needs to be healing people of leprosy and walking on water and feeding 5,000. He needs to be teaching us adults who can understand what's going on. These little kids don't know nothing. And so he, they're, they're pushing them away, drawing them back. He, they're trying to protect Jesus' time. And Jesus' response here is very telling. If you go back to our passage What does it say there in verse 14? It says, but when Jesus saw it, when he saw these disciples hindering children, even infants, it says he was indignant. He was beside himself. He couldn't believe what his eyes were seeing. It's one of the few times that we see this particular emotion in Jesus. We see his anger, his righteous anger well up when he goes to the temple and there's all the money changers and you see him turn over tables and he begins to chase them out you see a righteous anger here it's in indignation the idea of like he can't believe what his eyes are perceiving and he is upset with his disciples like how could you do this guys have you missed the whole point and he begins to rebuke the disciples for their rebuke of these parents he says let the little children come to me do not hinder them His desire is for them to come, no matter their age, no matter what the world may think of them. It's for some of you, you may already know this. You may have heard this sermon preached before, but then this time and place, children were considered in many ways to be an also ran in terms of society. They were valued only for the fact that they may grow up to then provide for parents they weren't valued as as individuals themselves and oftentimes they were kind of put as a secondary thought in the in the eyes of adults and that's one of the reasons that you see the disciples say hey stay away like he doesn't have time for for them and yet Jesus as we so often see in the gospels has more than enough time for those that society would try to push out of the way. And instead, he opens his arms. He doesn't just bless them. It says he took them up in his arms. He holds them. Like in my brain, like I I think about, you know, when you put your arms out to a child and you kind of kneel down and they run into those arms and you lift them and there's much joy in that moment. Which, by the way, I think says something for the the attitude of Christ. Children don't do that to people that are sourpusses. They, they, if Jesus was some scowling, menacing person, as we sometimes, I think, overgeneralize him as, that's not, children don't, aren't attracted to that. I think Jesus, you can imagine him kneeling down and opening his arms and smiling 
<laughs> and these children running to him, or in the case of the infants being handed over and him holding them gently. It's the great desire of Christ that the children would come. Which makes it no surprise, by the way, though this is not part of our notes, it makes it no surprise that the enemy would try to destroy children. What the Father loves, Satan will try to destroy. And certainly we look around our world and we can barely say that it's any safer now than what it was then. As we look around our world and we see famine, we see war, we see children dying of diseases that could be prevented if they just had clean water or if they had access to a $3 vaccine or simple health care. Or we see it in, even in our own country when the place that's supposed to be safe, their home and their family, is not safe at all. And children experience neglect and even worse abuse at the hands of those that are supposed to love them. Or even more horrifying still, for those that never see the light of day because of a choice. Oh, how the enemy desires to destroy life and will do it by whatever means necessary because the Father loves children. We think not only of that, though, but we think of how these disciples hindered. Sometimes it's those with the best intentions that get in the way, not just the enemy. Now, I would be pretty confident in saying that there's no one in this congregation who would stand up and say, we shouldn't have children in services. We shouldn't bring the children into church. I'm pretty confident that I can say that no one would stand up and say, why are we spending money on VBS or why are we spending money on charge? I'm pretty certain that if we went across the board that folks would say, yeah, those are things that we need to do, things that we need to evolve. Bring the children. The more children, the merrier. But sometimes it's more than just our words that hinder sometimes it's more the things that in the case of the disciples it was what they were doing they were actively hindering children but I think more often it's what we don't do what we don't do we hear of a need for VBS for more help even if it's just to show up and to love on like choose three kids and be like these three kids I'm going to love on you're not going to teach. You're not going to try to lead music. You're not going to try to learn all the dance motions to all the silly songs. It's just, I'm going to come and I'm going to love on these three kids. And we, but we make excuses. We say, I'm too old, or we say, I don't have time, or we say, that's not my gifting, that's not my calling. And we make excuses. And in not doing something, we hinder others. In not doing something, we prevent someone from coming to Christ. Because we couldn't make time. Because we couldn't, it wasn't our gifting. Because it wasn't something that we wanted to do. And so we have to ask ourselves, are, who are we in the story? Are we the good parents that desire to bring their children, to desire to bring those to Christ? Are we those who are the disciples who are hindering the children? something we must consider 
The other thing that we're reminded of, though, is we see the good desire of these parents to bring their children to Christ, the good desire of, or the desire of Christ to have them to come. We are reminded that our children are safe in His arms. They're safe in His arms. That He loves these kids and He watches over them. And this is hard for us to grapple as parents even, that God loves our kids more than we do. That he lo- he has, His desires for them are greater than our desires for them. That His dreams are bigger than what we could think of. They're eternal. They're lasting. As, I, as we were looking, as I was looking through this story was, and thinking about His safety and, and His desire for children, I was reminded of the story that we see in the Old Testament that Israel has been brought out of slavery in Egypt and they're going through the desert, right? They're in a place, there is barely any food or water, but God is providing those things. It's a dangerous place. I mean, it's a desert for crying out loud. And they're going through and they get to the edge of the promised land, this place of, that, that they describe as flowing of milk and honey. It's fertile. It's a place that they can settle down and establish themselves as families and as a country. And they're on the very very edge of it, and God says, go into it, take it over, it's yours, I'm, I'm here with you. And their response is to listen to the report of the spies that they had sent who said, the people there are giants, the people there have fortified cities, we are going to get crushed like grasshoppers beneath their feet, and they get scared, and the excuse that they give is we're scared for our children. We're scared for our children. We don't want anything to happen to them. We don't want, we're not going to obey God. We're not going to follow Him. We're not going to trust Him because we're scared for their sake. God's response is quite telling. God says, fine. <laughs> but know this. You all, your generation, you're going to die in this desert. In this horrible, nothing wasteland of a desert. You all are going to die here. But those children that you were so worried about, I'm going to raise them up as a faithful generation and they're going to go in and they're the ones that are going to have the promised land. They're the ones that are going to establish themselves in those, their, that place. They're the ones that are going to experience the blessings of that place. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. Those adults that tried to use their children as an excuse to protect them They all pass away in that desert and that young generation, those children rise up and they are faithful and they follow God into the promised land and they find the blessing that He had intended for them. They know what their parents missed out on. Don't think for a second, God loves your kids more than you do. He desires greater things for them than you could ever dream of. They are safe in His arms. Think as well when we think of this passage we think of the safety of children in his arms we think of david much more sad story but david has had an affair with bathsheba with another woman and she finds herself pregnant and the ch- the child when it's born is quite sick and david doesn't eat won't sleep won't change his clothes he is on his face before god begging that this child would live But the child passes away, and David's response is telling. David gets up, and he washes himself. He 
puts on new clothes, he sits down at the table and he begins to eat. And his servants are like, that makes no sense. Now's the time for grieving. Now's the time for mourning. But David's response is, I know where he is now. I know where he is now. He's with the Heavenly Father now. He is with God, and I will see Him again. David takes great comfort in knowing God's care for children. They are safe in His arms. If these things are true, then we must ask the first question of this passage. The first question of this passage is, are we bringing our children to Christ? How do we bring our children to Christ? If it's a good desire for us to do this, if it's the desire of Christ for us to do this, if they are truly safe in His arms, then how are we to bring our children to Christ? First, we must show them our relationship with Christ. If we are to bring our children to Jesus Christ that they may know Him, then they must see our relationship with Him. Lig Duncan in his sermon on this passage shares a list of that had been composed at least 10 years ago, maybe longer. And it's kind of a, a point by stating the negative. The title of the list is how to make sure your children hate church. How to make sure they hate church. And so the argument again here is the ne- out of the negative. It says... Number one, and I'm not going to read all of these, just read a few of them, but it says number one is make sure your faith is only something you live out in public. Go to church at least most of the time. Make sure you agree with what you hear the preacher say and affirm on the way home what was said, especially when it has to do with your children obeying. But let it stop there. Don't read your Bible at home. Don't engage your children in the questions that they have concerning Jesus and God. Live like you want to live during the week so that your kids can see the duplicity is okay. Number two, pray only in front of people. Five, make church community a priority as long as there is nothing else you want to do. You're a church-going family, right? I mean, that's what you tell your friends and family anyway, but make sure you attend, and make so make sure you attend on Sundays. As long as you didn't stay up too late on Saturday night, or your family isn't having a big barbecue that day, or the big game isn't on, or this week you just don't feel like it. Make sure your church is a priority unless there's something else you want to do. When something someone upsets you in church... Don't go for a while. Teach your children that that's how we deal with conflict, is to isolate ourselves. Never talk about God in everyday conversation. Never, lastly, never model passionate spirituality. Don't be excited about church. Don't be passionate about serving. Don't ever talk about a fresh revelation. Don't speak excitedly about Jesus. You want your children to not care about church. You want your children to not understand its great wealth. Do these things. But the reverse is true too. They will see in you something different if you will show them your relationship 
Talk to them about what you're reading. Talk to them about your quiet time. Talk to them about what you're praying for. Talk to them about the exciting things that God has done in the past and the things that He's doing now. Talk to them about open doors that He has given you and how He also closes some doors. Talk to them about the peace that He gives. Talk to them about the difference that He makes in your decision making. Talk to them. Let them see Christ in you. Second, encourage them to have their own relationship with Christ. Encourage their questions. Encourage their questions. Sometimes they're difficult questions. Sometimes they're things that we have a hard time reconciling ourselves. Sometimes they see through some things that we see as well, but we just don't have the answers. And it's hard to help a child to understand faith all the time. But encourage those questions. Don't dismiss them. And if you don't know, be honest. Don't make something up. (laughs) Please, (laughs) don't make something up. If you don't know, just say, I don't know, but let's find out. God helped us create Google for this very reason. Let's go find out. Let's go to the Bible. Let's find out. Let's go ask a Sunday school teacher. Let's go ask one of our deacons. Let's go ask the pastor. By the way, don't don't make me someone to be feared. Like, I, I've seen that in churches. I experienced that in my own life when I was young. Like, the pastor was like this guy on the stage that nobody talked to. Like, help them to see that this is, he's in this, that I'm in this with you. Like, let's, let's ask the questions. Let's try to find answers. Not making things up as we go along, but truly trying to seek out truth. Encourage them that to understand and help them to understand that they have to have a relationship with Christ. That it has to be them that pursues Him in faith. That He is their Lord and King just as He is yours. Encourage them to have a relationship. That's the first question. How do we bring our children to Christ? We show them our relationship. We encourage them in their own. There's a second, or and then la, or the third part of that. The third part of that is we pray over for them and we pray with them. How do we bring our children to Christ? We show them our relationship. We encourage them in our, their relationship, and we pray for them and with them. We pray for them and with them. One of the most uh, special times that I've had in in different ministries along the way is. Uh, getting to do children's ministry at Calvary, the church that I grew up in. And one of the things that they used to do that really changed the dynamic of our children's ministry in our church was um, they had parents at the end of children's time sit down with their kids and ask them, what were your highs and lows and how can we pray over those things? How can we give thanks to God for the great things that he's done this week? And then how can we pray for the things that might be a little difficult? And you saw children light up as they got to have those conversations with their parents and to talk about the things that were really exciting to them, even if it was just like a new box of crayons or they found this really cool bug on the sidewalk. And to give God thanks for those things, but also to talk about the things that were difficult, things that were challenging that week. And to pray together. Not just to pray over them, though that is incredibly important, but to pray with them. When they see that, they will understand who He is. So we see this question, how do we bring our 
children to Christ. The other thing that we see in this passage, though, is Jesus is teaching about childlike faith. And the question comes up, what is childlike faith? Go back and read this response with me, in verse, starting in verse 14, about midway through 14. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. As we hear those words of Christ, then we, we hear them and we understand that that means that there must be something to this childlike faith. And we have to ask the question, what is childlike faith? If it's that important that we won't see the kingdom of God, that we won't enter into its gates, if we don't have a faith like this, then not only do we have to ask the question, how do we bring our children to Christ? But we must ask the question, how do I have a faith like that? What does that kind of faith look like? Childlike faith, childlike faith is in need. Childlike faith is always in need. That's the first thing that we need to understand. I, I always knew being a parent was a full-time job. I didn't realize the depths of that until I had my own. Like, it never stops. You guys laugh because you know what I'm talking about. It never stops. Sometimes it's basic necessity, like she's hungry. And she's hungry all the time. Like, she sees, like, anything and she thinks it's food. And she cries and she can't get it herself. Like, heaven help me, like, you would think by now she could at least make scrambled eggs. Like, how hard is it? Like... But she needs to be fed all the time. She needs to be cleaned all the time. Some of you know this story, and I'll just share it to the embarrassment of my wife. But when we first brought Rosemary home, I remember we were reading through this book, and we were looking at the things that, like, you know, early on that you should be doing and things to help her development. <laughs> One of the things was, like, giving her a bath every two weeks or every week or every day or something. I can't remember the, the process. All I remember is looking at my wife and going, have we done that since we've got home? And my wife going, no, I don't think we have. It had been done in the hospital. She hadn't been dirty since then. But it had been a couple days, and we're like, we might, might want to do that. She can't bathe herself. Like, we got to take care of that even. Cleaning up all kinds of disgusting things. My gag reflex has been tested beyond its limits. <laughs> like, I mean, it's incredible. And as she gets older, it becomes even more crazy. Like, she wants to be entertained. There's part of me that misses the days when she just laid in a boppy and she stayed where we put her. <laughs> but now she wants to be entertained, and so help me if I have to read Good Night America one more time. Constantly in need, they're wonderful things. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm of course in jest with the, in the complaining, but it's one. It, it is constant need, and she looks to us over and over and over for it. Childlike faith is in constant need, brothers and sisters. We need to understand we are in constant need. Whether it be the basics of life, we need food, we need shelter. Whether it be the understanding of our great need 
of relationship, whether it be under even the greater understanding of our sin and our need of a Savior, that we face unthinkable consequences because we have broken the law of God and we are in need of a Savior. We are in need of forgiveness. We are in need of grace. We are in need of mercy. We are in need of the love of the good Father from whom all good things come. And here's the thing, it's not just once. It's not just that decision that you made when you were seven years old and you walked an aisle and expressed your need for a Savior. Or maybe you were 20 or 30 or maybe you were older than that. It's not just a one-time decision. We need Him every day. I don't know about you, but I make mistakes every day. Every night when I lay my head on the pillow, I think, I screwed that up. I could have had a better attitude with that. I could have said a different word than that. I could have done that differently. I could have maybe not done that. I am in need of grace and forgiveness Every day, every moment, constantly, I must go to the Father and say, Abba, Father, I need You. I need You. And praise be to God that He never looks at us and goes, Again? Again? You need this again? You couldn't take care of this one time? But instead He says, Come. Come on. Come on, bring it here. I can take care of it. It's true whether it is our sin. It is true whether it is our needs. He says, come. Come to the Father. But sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that we are in need. We become prideful. And that's the other part of the faith-like child. That it is humble. The child of a faith is humble. My daughter never questions when she comes to me, did I earn this today? <laughs> did I do good enough today to get dad's favor? That, that's not, that doesn't pass through her brain. The, child, the faith of a chi- small child is humble. It doesn't, it doesn't care that you're changing its diaper. It knows that it needs to be done. There's no embarrassment there. They just come to the parent and say, I need this. I know that I'm in need. But sometimes we as adults, sometimes we want to take care of it our own. When we come to our needs, we think, I can handle that. I can take care of that. I can do that on my own. When we come to a fork in the road of life and we have to make a decision, we think, I can make this decision on my own. I don't need a parent. I don't need someone to guide me. I don't need direction. I can do this on my own. Childlike faith acknowledges I need help. I need assistance. And it's not afraid to go to the one that can. Childlike faith is in need. Childlike faith is humble. Childlike faith is trusting trusting it doesn't 
doubt that you're going to come through. Like she comes to us with a need. She comes to us humbly, not, not thinking that she's earned it or deserved it, not thinking that, that she can do it on her own. She comes to us humbly and she comes to us fully trusting that we're going to come through. And it's like the hardest thing in the world when she, you know what she wants and there's nothing you can do about it in that moment and she just begins to melt into the floor and you know that she has a serious, this isn't like I can't have a toy, this is a serious need but there's just nothing you can do. Like there's nothing in the heart that melts quite like that. But she trusts in all things. It doesn't matter. And she trusts our protection. Whether I'm throwing in her there, like if you were to pick me up and throw me into the air the way I do my daughter, there would be flailing and screaming and like all manner of words coming out. Like I would be upset. I pick her up, throw up her there, and she just enjoys the view. Like, hey, I'm pretty high up here. And she trusts that I'm going to catch her when she comes down. Or if there's a person she doesn't know and she pretends to be shy, she leans in and she's like, I'm okay as long as I'm with this dude. Or a big dog. There's a little bit of pride, by the way, in a father when your daughter trusts you that way. When your child trusts you that all is going to be okay. Do we trust our father that way? Do we trust him that way? Do we pray to Him like we do? It's easy for us to say the words, right? It's easy for us to say, yeah, I trust Jesus Christ. But does your prayer life reflect that? Does your prayer life reflect, I trust Him in all things and in all ways? Does your life reflect that? Do you take to Him your needs? Do you take to Him the big decisions and the small ones? Do you take it to Him when you are, find yourself in troubling times and even in danger? Do you go to Him knowing that He can handle it? Now honestly, we, uh, to be clear, we, we know that the answer is not always we want what we want. There are times when, she, when Rosemary comes to us that we must say no for her own benefit, for her own, her own well-being, even when she doesn't understand that. And there are times, many times, when God does the same with us. And we don't understand why. And we can't see the big picture. We don't know why He says no. We don't know why He says wait. But do you trust Him in those answers? When He does say no. When He does say wait. Can you understand that what He desires is better? That He knows what He's doing? Do you trust Him? This is childlike faith. It's not complicated. And yet at times it's quite difficult. It's not complicated to understand that we are in need. And yet sometimes it's quite difficult to admit it. It's not complicated to be humble and to know that we can't handle it on our own. And yet sometimes it's quite difficult to admit that and to ask Him. 
It's not difficult to trust. In fact, usually trust means letting go of something and stop trying in some ways. And yet sometimes it's very difficult for us to take our hands off the wheel and just let him take care of it. Childlike faith is not complicated. But sometimes it is hard. And so sometimes we do cry out like the disciples say and say, Father, increase our faith. Increase our faith. By the way, I think it's no accident if you look right below this passage in our chapter, I think it's no accident that the Gospels all record the next story right after it. They all record the story of the rich young man. Childlike faith on display in these infants. And then the next story is the story of the rich young man, this guy who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus' response is, you have to obey all of the commandments. And the guy says, I have. And he says, then you must go and sell all of your possessions. And the man walks away sad. He walks away sad because he knows that he has trusted in his wealth to get him through all these things. That he can't do that which Jesus is requiring of him because he has made his wealth an idol. He does not have childlike faith in God. He has childlike faith in himself and his own resources. And he walks away sad. And here is the haunting part of that story to me is that Jesus lets him go. It says that Jesus had compassion in his heart. He was sad that he left, that he turned and walked away, but he let him go. If we choose to have faith in ourselves, if we choose to have faith in other things other than God and the things that this world brings, it is a sad state of affairs. But Jesus Christ will not make you have faith in him. You have to make that decision. Come to him. He is a good father who knows our needs, who can handle our needs, and who will meet our needs. I'm going to have the praise team come back up this morning. Maybe you are sitting here and you are already have a relationship in Jesus Christ. And this morning you just need a reminder. Maybe, maybe you're... Maybe you've started trusting in yourself a little bit too much. Maybe when you look at your life, you would say, yeah, I I have taken control back from him. I'm not trusting him. I'm not allowing him to be dad in my life. I'm not allowing him to direct my life. I'm not allowing him to make decisions in my life. I've taken all that back and everything is about how I can handle it. And this morning, you just need to come to the Father and repent and say, I'm yours And I'm in need, and I trust you. Where are we going? What are we doing? Maybe this morning you're here and you've never had that relationship with Christ. You don't know. Maybe you you have a good relationship with your parents. Maybe you have an awful relationship with your parents. You don't know what it's like to have a good and faithful father who cares about you. You don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ who can forgive you and 
who desires for you to have life and to have purpose. This morning, you can know him. It's understanding that we have a need, and our need is our own sin. It's the mistakes that we've made and the need for forgiveness. If you will ask for that, if you'll confess that, say, yeah, that's me. And you'll say, and I trust you. I'm going to go wherever you tell me to go. Then this morning, you can know him. And maybe you're here this morning, and you're a parent or a grandparent, or you're an aunt or an uncle, or you're just a friend. And God has placed children in your life, and you are a steward of them. You have a responsibility towards them to show them Jesus Christ in your own life and to pray and to, to encourage their own relationship and to pray over them. This morning, maybe you just need to make that commitment that I need to stop being one that hinders and I need to be one that takes children to Jesus, that I encourage that. This morning, I pray that you would make that commitment as well. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and Father, we thank you. We thank you for children in our life. We thank you for the children in our families. We thank you for the children in our church family and in this community that you have entrusted us with. Lord, we thank you that they are such a remarkable model of how we are to trust in you. That they give this incredible picture of, of faith, though they may not yet understand it, of unwavering trust. Father, I pray that we would look into our own hearts, that we'd look into our own lives, and we would ask the question Do I have childlike faith? Do I come to Him in need? Do I, do I come to You trusting? Do I come to You humbly knowing that I can't take care of it all, that I need You to work through me? Father, I, I pray for the parents that are here and for the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles and those that are even just friends of family, Lord, that that you would put a desire in our hearts to bring children to Christ, for them to know you and to know your love. Lord, that we would encourage that, that we would provide as many doorways to that as possible. Lord, that we would pray over them and that they would see the difference that you have made in our life and that they would come to love you that they would come to trust you as their Savior. Father, lastly, I pray for the one that's here. Lord, that their heart is beating fast right now. Lord, that you have, it feels like they have a weight on their shoulders and that you are, you are calling their name. They know that they need a relationship with you. They know that they need the joy and the peace that we have talked about, that they need a Savior. Father, I pray that you would give them courage this morning to talk to somebody about that. To let somebody know what's going on and that they would know you as their Savior today. We pray all of these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.